Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number, if you want to be on the show, it's a free-for-all today. You can call in about other topics, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to do that, you are more than welcome to call in uh, on topics. Real quick, uh, I'm going to ask you guys, and I have to be somewhat discreet here, just prayer request, a, a relative of mine. Uh, you know, Christy had her cancer scans on Tuesday and everything was good. Uh, they can't get rid of the tumors, but they're not growing and that's what we want. Um, but so we checked in with a relative of ours who was keeping up and, and the relative said, oh, well, now that everything's good, I can tell you I have heart surgery on Friday. <laughs> so um, they're trying to put a stit in, which is what we're praying for. The sur- They're actually, I guess, the surgery started around one o'clock. If they get the stent in, they don't have to do a bypass. If they can't get the stent in, they have to do a bypass. So prayers appreciated. Um, I'll be vague somewhat on details for the relative. So, um, but yes, uh, prayers appreciated. I, so I, be patient with me if you're on the phones. I do want to talk to you, but I want to talk about a topic. And I need to set this up. So I did a, a discussion last night. Uh, my kids go to a classical education school. For those of you who don't know what a classical education school is, it it focuses on the basics, but it does not do common core math, for example. It does old school mathematics. And the kids have to learn to argue and do public speaking. They have to stand and speak. Uh, They learn Latin. Uh, There's a lot of uh, Socratic method of asking questions. They have to take debate classes and speech classes. They have to write a thesis. They have to learn uh, to think critically. They got to be able to comprehend and analyze and synthesize and do all that. And, and there's a rhetoric school, which is the elementary school, where you memorize all the key facts that you need. And then you get to the logic school. You learn. You actually take a class in logic. Uh, and then you get to the upper school and you have to take your logical reasoning from that you learn in middle school, the facts that you learn in elementary school, and you put it all together along with learning calculus and uh, geography and, and all the other stuff that you learn. And it tends to be, a lot of these schools tend to be very Christian-based, so you're also taking theological classes. My kids take a Christian uh, systematic theology and apologetic classes like I learned in seminary. And I'm so glad I went to seminary now, not because of preaching, but because I got to answer my kids' questions. And I mean, they ask some questions, y'all. They ask questions. And sometimes they ask questions. Like, for example, my kid asked the other day, um, if you die and go to heaven, and you've got to choose before you die and go to heaven whether you're going, uh, w- whether you're going to accept the Lord or not. Well, if if there are still people alive on the final day when Jesus goes back, what happens to those people? Uh, do they make the choice when they see Him, and so they all realize, oh, it's real, and and that's just what about the other people? It's just I some of these conversations. I'm I'm telling you, um, <laughs> you get the deep questions. But so there's a school in Atlanta, uh, and I spoke to the school. It's a classical school, Heritage in Atlanta, and they had a men's group that I gathered with last night, and and we were talking about these schools and answering political questions and the like, and they appreciate the theological stuff. But one of the questions asked was, as you expand your footprint nationwide and you head into places 
uh, New England and the like, where people aren't necessarily into theology, how do you balance being a Christian, talking openly about your faith without turning people on the radio off? And it's actually a great question. It's one I get a lot. In fact, I was talking to a station up north the other day about getting on their station. That's one of their concerns is, is we don't exactly live in a church community. It's going to be off-putting to people. How do you talk about it? And I do think I have to be able to find ways to be who I am and talk about things I care about without being off-putting. One of the great things that I can do, though, is because these conversations are sometimes relevant, is explain things to you in a way that someone who is not in the church cannot explain things to you. There is a term. It's called mainline Christianity. It seems like every time we get to a presidential cycle, I have to write a piece for friends in the media explaining mainline Christianity. The phrase mainline Christianity comes from the mainline railway or subway system in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia in the 1800s and early 1900s, communities of interest typically were organized by churches. So you had Catholics, and then among the Protestants in particular, you had Methodists, and you had Lutherans, and you had Presbyterians, and you had Episcopalians, and you had the Church of Christ. They didn't have a lot of Baptists in Philadelphia at the time. Those are the mainline denominations. When you hear someone talk about mainline denominations, particularly in Protestantism, they're talking about Lutheran, they're talking about Methodist, they're talking about Presbyterian, they're talking about Episcopalian, and they're talking about Church of Christ. And those were the clustered neighborhoods in Philadelphia. If you took the mainline, there was a neighborhood that was mostly Presbyterian, a neighborhood that was mostly Episcopalian, a neighborhood that was mostly Methodist. And so the mainline terminology came for those. Now, those are all of them also the very liberal denominations over time. Uh, the Methodist Church is splitting up between Global Methodists and United Methodists. United Methodists will be the liberal denomination that supports gay marriage. The Lutherans are between the Missouri Synod and the uh, Evangelical Lutheran. Missouri is conservative. Evangelical Lutheran is, is the mainline descendant. It's also dying. Presbyterians are divided up. I'm in the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. They're the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church, United States of America. They're the liberal ones. You've also got the OPC, the EPC, the ARP. There are lots of little Presbyterian denominations. PCA generally is the big conservative one. PCUSA, the big liberal one. PCUSA is the heir of the mainline denomination. There's the Episcopal Church, which is kind of now splitting between Episcopal and Anglican. Uh, there's the Church of Christ. You have the Church of Christ, which has remained conservative, and now the United Church of Christ, which is liberal. Interestingly enough, the mainline denominations, the Evangelical Lutherans, the PCUSA, the UMC, the, uh, the Episcopal, the United Church of Christ, they are the f declining churches of America. Statistically, the last person uh, born an Episcopalian in this country has been born the last person to be an Episcopal, given the rate of decline. Same with the PCUSA. In fact, I was talking to this school on um, last night, and they were talking about how a they bought a Presbyterian church to use as their campus. And several years ago, they offered to buy the church. It was a smaller denomination of the P, within the PCUSA. 
and the church said no because the school believes in traditional biblical sexual ethics. The the female pastor asked them if a transgender girl went to the girl's bathroom, would you allow it? And they said no, and so she wouldn't sell the church, and then the church went out of business, and they bought the property for less than what they had offered originally. Interesting story. Now, I tell you all of that because if you're just a, if you're, it's so relevant when you're talking about Republican politics, when you're talking about cultural politics in the country, it's relevant to know these things. And if you're secular, you, you don't know the church, you can't explain those nuances. And the nuance, if you don't know it, you lose some of the conversation. And that gets me to the real story of the day here, the FBI versus the Catholic Church. A now discredited member of the FBI wrote a memo last month warning about radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. Kyle Serafin was a special agent of the Bureau for six years before he was indefinitely suspended in June of 2022. He published the document, Interest of Racially or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditionalist Catholic Ideology Among Certain presents new uh, mitigation opportunities. In making this assessment, FBI Richmond relied on the key assumption that racially or ethnically motivated extremists will continue to find radical traditionalist Catholics or RTC ideology attractive and will continue to attempt to connect with RTC adherents, both virtually via social media and in person at places of worship. It adds that RTCs, radically traditionalist Catholics, are typically categorized by the rejection of the Second Vatican Council as the valid church council, disdain for most popes elected, including Pope Francis and John Paul II, frequent adherence to anti-Semitic, anti-immigration, anti-LGBTQ, and white supremacy ideology, blah, 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 blah. They, of course, relied on the Southern Poverty Law Center, a left-wing group that really does hate a lot of evangelical and Catholic Christians. Now, the FBI, after this was exposed, they retracted the report, um, the, they said essentially that um, while our standard practice is not to comment on specific intelligence products, this particular field office product disseminated only within the FBI regarding racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism does not meet the exacting standards of the FBI. Upon learning of the document, FBI headquarters quickly began taking action to remove the document from its system and conduct a review. The whistleblower document from January 23rd said the FBI report relied on the key assumption that racially or ethnically motivated extremists will continue to find radical traditionalist Catholic ideology attractive. Now, this is probably going over a lot of your heads. This is where having someone who actually understands the faith and the denominations comes in useful because so many people in the media don't. This is actually a thing. Radical traditionalist Catholics are not terrorists. And it is absurd that the FBI would would paint them as such. Radical traditionalist Catholics like the Latin Mass. They think that uh, Vatican II was a lurch towards liberalism. I don't understand the nuances of Vatican II. I'm Presbyterian. I'm not Catholic, but I have a lot of Catholic friends. The problem here is there's a kernel of truth that you and I should not be dismissive of. There are a group of people on the right in this country. They're called accelerationists. And they tend to be 
radical traditionalist Catholics and fundamentalist evangelical Christians. And they're a real thing. What the accelerationists believe is that the United States is in the last days of Rome. They believe the country is coming to an end. And they call themselves or people call them accelerationists because they want to push the country over the edge. There have been a series of attacks on uh, power transformers in the country from North Carolina to Washington State. Uh, There's a growing belief it is the white supremacist accelerationists. Many of them are white supremacists. They believe we are a naturally white nation. Um, and they want to push the country over the edge. They want to take out the power grid. They want to force us into some primitivism in large part because they're preppers. That's one of the side effects of this accelerationist movement. They've been hoarding stockpiles of weapons and guns and food, and they believe the country's on the verge of collapse. They want to help it collapse because then they believe they have the training, the skills, and the wherewithal to rebuild the country in a traditionalist religious faith. We're talking about a very small group of people. The media gives them disproportionate uh, clout, which they shouldn't. But we should not deny that these people aren't out there. They are out there, and they are extremists, and they tend to adhere very strongly to a worldview based on their faith that is very fundamentalist and traditional. And what I find so interesting about these groups of people is how they just reject this idea of the sovereignty of God. They think they've got to push the country over, that they've got to speed it along to somehow help God. Um, This one of the things you find about a lot of people who get involved in politics who are uh, adherents of a faith is that they believe their actions will force their deity's hand. And same thing is happening here. These people are real. They are dangerous. They want to destroy the country. The problem is that with this FBI report, because they relied on the Southern Poverty Law Center, which hates everybody who's a person of faith, they painted with such a broad brush as to think, oh, if you like the Latin mass and don't like Vatican II, you might be a white supremacist, which is absurd and not true. And part of the problem here is in the media, on talk radio, within the government, in the FBI, too many people have lost the basic understanding and nuances of people of faith and who they are and what they believe. And it becomes very easy to hate, to to mischaracterize, and to lump them all into being radical, traditionalist, Catholic anarchists when it's simply not true. This is a phenomenon we need to worry about, the accelerations. We do shouldn't say worry about it, be concerned with it, know that it's out there, but also it's not as big as the media and the FBI might have you believe, and it's crazy they're spending so much time on something like this, a group of people going to church where they speak Latin. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at refundspro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. 
even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with the free five-minute questionnaire at refunds with an S, refundspro.com. That's refunds with an S, pro.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I want you on the program. And today's a free-for-all day. It's an open line day. You can call it about other things, but I only have a minute. So I don't want to take your call now. I want you to be patient with me. And I promise we'll get back to you on the other side of this break. The president, by the way, so the, he's, he's doing a big interview, pre-football game interview on Sunday. It was supposed to be on Fox, and they're not going to do it, it looks like. He wants to bail on it because it's Fox News. He wanted to do an interview with something called Fox Soul uh, and focus on um, – the plight of, of black families in America, Fox wanted it to be Fox News. Uh, they wanted no conditions, and the president is tends to bail. With three days to go before the Kansas City Chiefs square off against the Philadelphia Eagles, the White House has yet to commit to the traditional interview, um, and now they're asking that it be canceled. I just, I'm kind of glad. I'm tired of these. That started under Obama. Uh, there's no reason to keep this. Um, why do politics right before the football game? Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, it is a free-for-all today, an open line day. You can call in and I, your host, will now spend time taking phone calls. So I want to begin with Joe. Welcome to the program, Joe. Hello, Eric. My question is, they say Social Security is going to be bankrupt in about 10 years. And right now, if you make, they take out 8.7% for Social Security and Medicare, and it's got a cap on it, I think somewhere of around 300000 Why don't they just take that cap off and say, whatever you earn in income, you pay that Eight point eight some percent for Social Security and Medicare, and that would be fair to everybody. It would help the middle class because they're already paying it on everything they make. Why shouldn't everybody else who makes over that pay it? I, that's actually one of the ideas that's being floated on a bipartisan basis. Um, the Republicans don't really have a problem with it, even though it would be technically be a tax increase because uh, people would get it back. It would help fund the program. It would go to people who could afford it. Uh, that's one of the ideas. And of course, one of the other ideas is capping uh, the amount of money people up at the upper income end of the spectrum get from Social Security, although to some degree it's already capped because of that cap right there, that, that their Social Security tax only goes up 300000 Um Joe, this is under active discussion among people in Washington. The problem is the president can't engage publicly on the issue because he wants it to be a campaign issue. He very, very much wants this to be an issue whereby um, 
Joe Biden can defend a program, claim that the Republicans will get rid of it. In fact, here's Joe Biden yesterday. I reminded them that Florida's own Rick Scott is the guy who ran the Senate campaign committee for Republicans last year, had a plan to sunset. Maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe he's seen the Lord. But, <laughs> but he wanted a sunset, meaning if you don't reauthorize it, it goes away. Sunset Social Security Medicare every five years. By the way, that was Joe Biden's plan, too. Joe Biden actually proposed that plan in the 70s and the 80s. Wanted to do the same thing. Now, I'm not going to hold Joe Biden accountable in 2023 for a plan he had in the 1980s, but it is notable at one time he proposed it and thought it was reasonable and now thinks it's some sort of radical wackadoo idea. Rick Scott, of course, is the minority of Republicans on this, but it's not a bad idea. What I really do think, and this Marco Rubio was on the show earlier in the first hour, uh, pointed out that if you're in your 40s, Social Security is probably going to be bankrupt anyway by the time you get there. So why not allow you to take part of that money and invest it in the stock market? And as you go down the scale of age, allow them to take more and more of their Social Security money and put it in equities and bonds and build up a retirement portfolio that way, like a 401k, instead of putting it into the Social Security Trust Fund. Uh, There are ways to maintain it for those already on Social Security without forcing everyone else onto it. Uh, Transitioning really would not be a bad idea. All right, uh, let's uh, jump back to the phone. Sam, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Yeah, hello, Eric. Hi. I thought I'd... uh my curiosity about this all of a sudden the FBI showing interest in the Catholic Church. You don't think it might have anything to do with the fact that the high priest out there in San Francisco decided not to allow uh, Crazy Nancy to have communion and I think the uh, church also did something to some of the Democrats on the East Coast for the same reason concerning abortion. I'm just one of those uh, conspiracy theorists guys, you know. Yeah, well... (laughs) Look, so the bishops did say that um, if you support abortion, you shouldn't take communion if you're a public advocate of it. And it is some of the local bishops have kind of ignored that and done it anyway. And the, the, the Pope's been fine with it. Uh, there could be some of that to it. What I really think is uh, there, the larger context of the fight here is a lot of the American bishops are fairly conservative. Uh, I know a couple of them, and they're some of the most conservative people I know, and and. I mean, the FBI relying on the Southern Poverty Law Center, which hates conservatives and Christians, it was just kind of a dumb, boneheaded thing to do anyway. Um, it just it, it it just shows how unserious the FBI really is about this particular issue that they would they would even attempt to do that. Um, it's just it's just dumb. Uh, it was just it was a dumb thing. Uh, back to the phones we go. Albert, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Yes, sir. How are Hi you, there. Mr. Erickson? How are uh, you? I just wanted to go over a few facts about my life and then discuss the item of religion. Um, I was born within the Catholic Church in a very, very, very uh, conservative environment. Uh, altar boy and Latin and masses in Latin and so on. And so I've watched the, the church progress. I myself have become a Southern Baptist. Uh, I blame my wife for that. And... Um, <laughs> I I went to seminary, and what I see now happening in the faith is pretty much what was going on with Constantine back in the 300s, and that is that there's a diversity of opinion 
so much so that you're starting to create denominations after denominations, all on the basis that don't agree on some principle. And I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know how to reconcile so that at least as Christians we have sort of a front approach to what's going on. You know, so Albert, in all honesty, I, I, my position is kind of let God sort it out. Uh, we're always going to have denominations. Uh, you had 12 apostles who went 12 different ways uh, after after the the resurrection and the ascension, and they all shared a common God. They, the, Over time, as churches grew in different parts of the world, they approached local issues differently, occasionally would get together and have uh conclaves and consensus and, and uh, ecclesiological opinions on how to do things. But uh, we're as long as we all accept uh, the basics of faith, uh, a trinity, a physical resurrection, a virgin birth, um, a, a second coming, then you know, we, can, we can quibble over it. Do you baptize infants or do, do you wait until someone comes of age? Do you, how do you do communion? Um, things like that. There are first principles and second principles, and everyone generally agrees on the first principles. Um, and it's the second principles over which we have denominations. Uh, but I'll let God sort that out. Um, that's for him. Okay. Uh, 877-973-7425. Let's go back to the phones. David, welcome to the Eric Erickson show. Hi. Hi there. My, my question is, the FBI is so corrupt. Why the state of Georgia or any state have Georgia being of investigation for Georgia, run the FBI office here and be controlled by the governor, the lieutenant governor and the legislation, and, and have every state, you know, communicate with each other instead of having a bureau in Washington shut, shut, uh, corrupts. Well, so Georgia, most states have their own Bureau of Investigation. So Georgia has the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Florida has the Florida uh, Bureau of Investigation. Forget the actual name there. Well, because Washington is its own government. uh, And so it, because Washington is its own federal government, it gets to be nationwide and have its own separate entity. The state entities don't actually have to cooperate with the federal entity. And in some areas, they don't. Uh, but Washington, because it is the national government, gets a bureau of not a police force. It's not technically a police force. The Constitution puts the police power at the state level, but Washington does get to have one of these entities to help enforce federal law. And you can't keep it out of your state because of the uh, federalist concepts of the Constitution. You don't have to work with it as a state, but you have to allow it to exist in your state as an entity overseen by the president. Jim, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Jim, welcome. Hello, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. So you made a comment about um, Social Security running out. Well, I'm 49 years old, and I've been putting into Social Security since I was 16. Uh, I've heard people talk before about early distribution so that you could reinvest the money into your own funds and plan for your own future. That's all fine and well for people that are responsible and people that are going to take whatever money they get from the government, whatever portion is early distribution, and reinvest that into a 401K, an IRA, real estate, whatever. But there's a percentage of the population that's going to get a check in the mail. They're going to buy a new car. They're going to go on a vacation. They're going to do something, and they're going to waste that money. The time comes that they're old enough to retire, and there's no money. The rest of us are going to end up picking up that tab again anyway. 
because now these people are going to be destitute and someone's going to have to support them. Where, uh, okay. How do you draw the line between between people that, that responsibly invest in planning their future and people that take it as a windfall? Right. Okay. And, so here's the prevailing plan that let's, let's just use the Bush plan from 2005 because it was the last time it was seriously considered. Uh, and what the Bush plan did was it, you didn't get the money. It, it worked just like Social Security. The money, um, the money flowed to the Social Security trustee fund and then was deposited into an account that was overseen by a trustee who, instead of putting it into government IOUs, put it into stocks and bond funds. And you got to select uh, the fiduciary and you got to select whether you wanted uh, how the sort of growth you wanted, but there were dictates into how many stocks it could have, how many bonds it could have, uh, whether it was uh, dividend producing, bond or growth producing, risk producing. It shifted over time. So as you got older, the fund had to move more and more to bonds and less to stocks. And it was all dictated in the legislation. So you didn't get the money and were told to invest it yourself. It still went to the Social Security Administration. But instead of being invested in government IOUs, it was invested in the stock market, and you got to select the fiduciaries. You were given certain options, but you couldn't keep the money yourself. And so, at the end of uh, the, when you hit retirement, it processed just like Social Security. You got the money back yourself, so you never actually got to invest the money or not invest the money. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Yeah, because I look. I agree with you. You you, hand, you tell people, hey, uh, you're required to do this. People aren't going to do it. They're going to go out and get a new car. They're they're going to landscape the backyard. They're they're gonna they're gonna waste the money somehow and then get to retirement and say, well, crap, I don't have any money. What do I do? So yeah, that was that was contemplated in the privatization of Social Security that either the government or your employer would require this. Uh, and th there was a provision under the law, this is probably way more information than you ever want to know about this, but there was a provision that if you were a part-time worker or for a small business, the trustee for Social Security would handle it. And if you were a big business, you had the option to handle it internally uh, along with 401ks and IRAs, but it's still everybody who worked had to be in the system. There was no opting out of it. Uh, so that was it, um, would, probably would have worked. So when COVID money was distributed, uh, the sale of big screen TVs went through the roof. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're, they were complaining about people not being able to pay their rent and deferring their rent for, for multiple years. And people were buying big screen TVs. One of the issues that the, um, the stores had, the, the retailers had, was they planned on that as being the norm. And they overstocked all of those high-end items that when the COVID money ended, they sat on the shelves. And then you could buy a big screen TV for a fraction of what it cost before because they needed to unload them. But people mm -hmm. are very irresponsible when you give handouts. Yes. So the, the way the way you explain that, as long as it would go through a process, that it could be, you know, somewhat at your discretion, but not money put to, in your hands. That yeah. that I, I agree. That that I believe would work. And I'd love to get government out of my retirement and out of my money. Period. Because no they're kidding. they're one one. One thing government can't do is manage anything. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, you can't. So, Jim, by the way, before you get off of here, as an aside on this, I was in Las Vegas during that period of COVID and all the, and you couldn't get an Uber. It was impossible, like 20, 30-minute wait. And I finally got one one night, 
I was coming home from a steak restaurant back to the hotel, and I said to the driver, I said, what's going on out here that you can't get an Uber? He said, oh, everybody's quit. Everybody stayed home. They're getting so much money from the government not to work. They're not driving. I said, well, well, why are you driving? And his, his answer, and I'm not making this, his answer was, I like steak and hookers, and it's too expensive to stay home on what you're getting from the government. <laughs> right? Well, I, I worked through the entire pandemic. I, I had one week off in the, in the 14 days to flatten the curve, was considered an essential worker, and worked every day in hospitals, in schools, in manufacturing. If it was open, I was working there. Never saw an extra cent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now look, I, I'm look. I'm with you. I believe it or not, people in radio were considered essential, and I I did not miss a day of work in over six months. Uh, I I was there. Look, I gotta let you go. I gotta go commercial break. Thank you. Thanks very much for the call. Great, great points that you made. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. If you want to be on the program, you know, so many of you have asked me. Uh, we're, we're still interested in doing precious metals and handling precious metals, buying precious metals. Uh, where should we go? Uh, Advantage Gold, that is where you should go. Here's why I like them. Uh, one, their reputation is incredible. They're Trustpilot's number one company for, I think, seven years in a row, which is fantastic. What I really like about Advantage Gold is they are big into education. You probably have questions. I mean, where do you keep the gold? Well, how do you buy the gold? Can you put it in an IRA? Can you put it in a 401k? How do you handle the appreciation or the depreciation? And what do you, they can answer all those questions. If you're interested in using gold as part of your investing strategy, your retirement strategy, mitigating inflation or the stock market wild swings, you got to go. Trustlink's number one highest rated gold company, seven years in a row now, Trustlink's number one highest rated gold company. They got the best prices. They got incredible staff who really will answer your questions. You're like, oh, hey, I want to buy gold. Where do I put it when I get it? How does it? They answer all that sort of stuff for you. Really good people. 800-450-2566 is their number. 800-450-2566. If you're curious about it, uh, you can get a free gold IRA investment kit from them that tells you what you need to know for your IRA. There's your 401k. There's your general investments. Uh, just having gold on hand that is easily convertible to cash, if ever the time comes that you need it, they can answer those questions for you. Talk about the conversions and everything. 800-450-2566. It's Advantage Gold. Tell them I sent you. Let them answer your questions, 800-450-2566. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on the program, uh, you are more than welcome to be. I'm going to see if I can squeeze in a phone call, and then next hour I want to start with uh, calls. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. They want to help your business grow. You reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. Ted, you're going to be up next. Welcome. How you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, just wanted a history lesson. When did Social Security get taken out of the lockbox, and who did it? Ah, uh, so there never was a lockbox. If you go back to the Al Gore uh, debate against George W. Bush and uh, Gore said he wanted to put it in a lockbox. Uh, and that he, the way he said lockbox uh, kind of became a thing even Saturday Night Live when it was funny 
parodied him. So there never was a lockbox. You go back to Al Gore in 2000, he was saying we needed to put it in a lockbox. It's always gone to the general fund. Uh, the federal budget is a weird thing, and all monies that flow to Washington go into a common pot. And they segregate it on the books for accounting purposes, but it's in the same bank account. Um, it doesn't get spread out somewhere else. And what Gore was proposing is a restructuring of the federal treasury so that there was a separate account, essentially, that the money went into instead of just a paper accounting method. And it was his lockbox Um that was what it was. 877-973-7425. I want to keep taking phone calls when we come back. Uh, we may have to make it an open container Friday when we come back as well. Uh, got some questions on uh, accelerationism. And we're going to we're, we're going to take go down that road. And also, there's some more I found on isolation. I talked about it yesterday. I want to share it with you when we get back.